Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, this is your first time here at Hill City. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and uh, grateful that you're here and I uh, hope that Hill City becomes a place that you can call home. We are in uh, week number 12 of this series in the book of Revelation. All right, so if you're just hopping in today, have you missed a lot? Sure, uh, but uh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Well, and you actually came on a really uh, interesting uh, topic that we're going to be tackling here today. And one of the more famous verses out of out of Revelation, Revelation chapter thirteen. And so um, it'll be a fun one. Okay, so I'll just leave it that way. And uh, I, it, this was one of those other ones where uh, I had so many pages of notes and uh, probably had an hour and a half to two hours worth of a sermon. And, uh, and I was just like, this feels like a little bit much. And so we uh, shrug it down enough here for 30 minutes or so. But um, I just want you to remember just catching you up a little bit on, on where we are with this, with this book. Because if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, this can feel like a daunting book. Even if you are familiar with the Bible, it's a daunting uh, book to tackle and with so much imagery and everything. And uh, we've been hovering around this one phrase every single week, which those of you that have been here should know this by now, which is what? Stay grounded, the gospel works, right? That no matter what we're seeing, no matter what we're like uh, processing, uh, even if we just sang, no matter what season we're in, uh, it's like, man, if we just stay grounded in the reality and the truth of who Jesus is, like it works. Like what he taught works. Uh, what he said about himself works. The hope we have in Jesus, it, it works. When things like are spinning out of control around us, like it works. The gospel message works. And it doesn't work just for 2023. It, like it's worked for 2,000 years, like, and so this isn't like a new concept. So it, it works, and, um, and so it becomes important. Now, this book of Revelation, again, uh, it's your last book out of the 66 in your Bibles. And uh, it does talk about, like, what's going to happen in the end. There is a part of uh, the book, but it's not the fullness of the book, not even actually close. Uh, so much of the book is really about what happened in the past, um, and then what it looks like for someone who's following Jesus to live it out in the present, because you have a hope of what is in the future. All right, and so that's what the book is really talking about. It isn't some puzzle piece that you're trying to fit together and figure things out, which has been typically uh, what has been uh, looked at with this book. And so um, I also want you to remember that when we tackle some of these passages like today, if it meant something to a first century listener, it had to mean something to us now in the same way. All right, so it can't just change meanings. And, uh, and so um, some of the things that we'll talk about today um, might be a little different than maybe how you've approached this passage uh, uh, in particular before. How many guys have heard of the number 666 before? Yeah, yeah. Some of you guys are like, I don't even want to raise my hand like with that, right? Like, so it just feels weird. And uh, so we're actually going to talk about uh, that and maybe why you shouldn't be so scared of it. Uh, um, but uh, we, but this Revelation is such a beautiful, beautiful book. The imagery is wonderful. Again, they're using some language that we don't talk like, and we don't use this kind of language anymore in our normal everyday life. But don't forget as well that a lot of this would have been acted out and presented in that way uh, to, to people. So when they would have been hearing Revelation, a lot of times it would have been acted out in almost dramatic form uh, to kind of add some layers to it, all right? So um, let's get into a couple of nice-to-knows. We do this every, every week, right? So here's some nice-to-knows um, before we head into uh, this passage. Uh, the numbers 7 and 10 uh, will equal completion. We've, we've talked about this um, several times here uh, over the weeks. Uh, the C, whenever you see the C, 
Um, it equals chaos, all right? So again, we've, we've talked about this. So like in creation, when the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, it's representing the idea, oh, that God can calm the waters. In the end of Revelation, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but we saw it uh, earlier in one of the chapters where it's described as like, oh, when, when God's presence around, it's like a sea of glass, right? Which means, oh, he can, that the presence of God calms the seas, all right? So it, it's like only that can happen. Without God, then it be, becomes chaotic. Uh, the dragon um, equals Satan. This was Revelation 12. We actually talked about this last week, but uh, re, the dragon uh, equals Satan, which just means the accuser or the uh, deceiver. Um, the Antichrist. How many of you guys have ever heard that phrase before? Yeah, how many of you guys grew up wondering who the Antichrist is going to be, right? Like, yeah, yeah, um, that's probably most of us in this room. Um, here's the problem with that one. Uh, the Antichrist actually isn't mentioned in Revelation at all. All right, so it's not even in there. Um, second, uh, even with Revelation uh, and the Antichrist, um, that comes from 1 John chapter 2, actually. And John says there's a lot of Antichrists. And so it isn't just a, a one-time deal. All right, that there's a, a lot of antichrists um, that happen. And uh, antichrists could be a lot of different things um, or a lot of different. It doesn't have to be just one big influential leader. It can be, um, but uh, we too can be antichrists um, because you can live in a way that is what? Anti-what? It makes you a what? Antichrist. Okay, so, um, so there is some uh, reality uh, to that as well. Um, Babylon, is, this is going to be a big one. I'm going to hover on this for just a second. Uh, I will reference Babylon a couple of different times in the sermon. Um, we won't read it. We won't see the phrase Babylon in Revelation 13 uh, in particular. I'm going to reference Revelation 18 uh, a couple of different times because they tie in together. But Babylon is this significant um, uh, place and theme uh, throughout the entire Bible. Okay, so Babylon, uh, it actually, where it all kind of begins is in Genesis chapter 11. Well, technically it begins in Cain, but I won't get into that stuff. But uh, in, in Genesis chapter 11, it talks about how the people of God, or I mean, the people on earth uh, built this tower and they were trying to establish this way that the gods could come down to earth, all right? And so they established this tower and, um, and God decides, like, hey, he's like, man, these, these humans are getting out of control. And uh, through technology and through their power and through violence and through their sins and everything else. He's like, we got to figure something out here because, man, this is not working. And so God scatters everyone. And it's called the Tower of what? Those that know. Of Babel, right? You may have heard that before. Uh, the word for Babel and the word for Babylon uh, both rhyme. All right? So, they, so they're, they're two congruent words that, that go together. Babylon becomes this one uh, city, and it was known as the great city. And I'm going to tell you why that's important in just a second. Uh, but Babylon becomes incredibly significant. The, the place of Babylon, the city, uh, is really significant. All right? So it was a place. Um, it also represented an, am an empire, so there was a city of Babylon um, that was represented. It was an empire uh, of Babylon. And then uh, Scott McKnight in his book, uh, Revelation for the Rest of Us, he says that Babylon is also like a timeless trope, meaning like it's a motif or a theme that is woven all throughout Scripture. And Babylon is actually used to describe different kinds of leaders, or different kinds of people. Uh, it's described to uh, different kinds of empires, right? And so Babylon is just used all throughout the Bible in that way to describe a way of being, a culture, a way that humans actually work. Um, Babylon is also a couple of different times described as the beast or the dragon throughout the Bible. All right, so um, we, we see that. So Babylon becomes incredibly significant. Uh, McKnight, in his book, 
uh, as I just mentioned, the revelation for the rest of us, he, he said these are the, the ways that you see um, Babylon at work in Scripture. Um, they're anti-God, meaning God as Yahweh. Not They have gods, but they're anti-God being uh, Yahweh, the God that we serve. It's opulent, uh, meaning, you know, indulgence and entertainment. Um, you know, when you reference like the, the, when Rome is referenced as Babylon, you think about the Colosseum games. All right, so, so indulgence with, with things, uh, entertainment, Colosseum games. The rich always get richer in this opulence, and the poor always get poorer. Um, it's murderous, you know, the violence is death, it's normative. Um, they're image-based, they want to be praised and leave, uh, Live, uh, have people that like, live in awe of like what they create, all right? And some of these things aren't necessarily like, bad things, right? Like there's like, oh, architecture is beautiful. Like I love, love, love architecture, and so um, it's a beautiful thing, and to create is a beautiful thing. To create is a godly thing, um, but it can get twisted uh, in the midst of it. Uh, militaristic, you know, it's about um, power that way. Uh, economically exploitive, and then arrogant, all right? They're they're arrogant and prideful in what they do. Um, there's a theologian. Uh, namely uh, William Stringfellow, who said this about Babylon. He said, The moral pretenses of imperial Rome, the millennial claims of Nazism, the arrogance of Marxist dogma, the anxious insistence America be number one among the nations are all versions of Babylon's idolatry. And begin to see that uh, Babylon is woven in, and it's this concept, it's this theme, it's this motif that we start seeing over and over and over again. And it's like, and it's important when, when John is writing this, he is, he is saying, like, I, I want you guys to know that you're in Babylon and what that means for you as a follower of Jesus and how it begins to transpire and, and what, what that means and how we begin to, to interact with the world around us becomes incredibly, incredibly important. And so you might be thinking, do we live in Babylon? Yes. <laughs> Let's see. America's checklist of Babylon. Do we lack Jesus? Yes, right? Like even, uh, you know, right now, even the people, uh, the majority of people in our country claim to not even be a, a believer or believe in Jesus at all. And then the number of people, uh, Barna, which is like a research group for, for Christianity, um, recently did a study about the number of percentage of people in America that are um, regularly attend church, give, serve, and pray is about 8%. All right, so do we lack Jesus? Yes. Opulence? Yes. Culture of death? No doubt. Um, fixated on its superiority? Yeah, let me tell you about this one. This is an interesting one. Um, and I'll probably poke the bear on a lot of different sides today. Okay, so don't, like, don't just... The superiority thing. Um, I, I love excellence. Excellence can be a really great thing. So it's not like anti-excellence. Um, the superiority thing is where you can get, it can be problematic. And so, um, you know, there was a, a term when President Trump um, came into office, um, there was this term that he fixated on, right? Which was do, to what? Make America what? What's interesting about that is um, when, I, when I told you Babylon was known as the great city, right? It was known as the great city. Um, great was not a complimentary term. It was about great being like in your own eyes. It was about greatness um, over everyone else. It was about a superiority. It was about power. Um, the Greek word for great is megas. All right, and so like it's funny, like sometimes we're like, man, out of all the signs that people are trying to put in together sometimes, but um, it's even fascinating when uh, in, in the Bible, God's chosen city or holy city is called Jerusalem. 
It's part of God's people. It's a centering point. And when Jerusalem acted like Babylon, he called it the great city of Jerusalem, meaning they were outside of God's will and acting like Babylon, considered when you only focus on your greatness. When they were in God's presence, he called it the holy city. And so they're two very distinctive things. And so the reality of what we should desire as followers of Jesus is to make America holy one time. Not even again, because I'm not sure we've ever been that. But like, but like the, it's like we should really be around holiness. That's what we should be focusing on. Because the greatness piece, and this isn't just angled towards him. It's just like a mindset, right? The greatness piece is actually takes us away and moves us towards Babylon, according to the Bible. So we've got that. We've got military power, of course. And again, is military power a bad thing? It doesn't have to be, right? Because... Governments happen, and people have militaries, and that, that's a reality. Um, but it can turn into something that is more like Babylon. Uh, economic exploitive, of course. Um, obsession with loyalty, yes. Um, distort history, where you only see it through the victor's eyes. Yes. Sexual exploitation marketed as freedom. Yes. These are all signs of Babylon. So, do we live in Babylon? Yes. Is it the best Babylon ever? Maybe. Sure, but it's still Babylon, right? And, um, and are there good things in our country? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is it something, things to be celebrated in our country? Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. But we also have to realize what we're living in because what you're going to see in this passage is what a call to those who follow Jesus. There's a call to actually come out of Babylon, and so um, it's important to know that we're actually in it uh, to start with. Um, if you go back to the last part there, I'm, I'm sorry. Go up to here. So we've got Babylon, and then we've got the, um, oh, I forgot this part. For those of you that are still doubting me, if we live in Babylon, here's a description of Babylon, Revelation 18.13. This is part of, this is part of the, the verse. Um, it says, one of the, the ways you see if you're in Babylon is that human beings are being sold as slaves. This is literally how our country started. And so even from the, so I'm not saying we're Babylon now in 2023. I'm like, I'm saying that we're, we've been, always been. And the Bible actually told us this a long time ago, way before we even started. And so um, we, were, we spent time this, this week as a staff at the African American Museum. And if you haven't gone you need to go. Um, but if the whole time I'm sitting there and, and all this stuff is like in my head as, as we're like walking through and we only made it, I, well, I only made it and a few of us only made it through the first two floors. But uh, I'm like sitting there, I'm like, oh man, right from the start of our country, like it has just been Babylon. And it's so sad because you see all these quotes from Christians and all these different in, in leaders that you're like, oh, you just bought into Babylon, and man, people suffered because of it. Now, you had the abolitionists, right, who, who stood up and like, no, 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 they understood holy, the holiness element, and they understood, and they wanted to fight against all these things. The abolitionists, we should celebrate them, learn about them, everything. It was awesome. They're part of our country's story, too. And so some of this is complicated, but, you, but you, we've got to, like, see it. And all this stuff is incredibly important as we engage Revelation. The last part there, after Babylon is the story of Daniel. The story of Daniel. Um, you'll see a little 
bits and pieces of Daniel's story. Daniel is actually in the Old Testament. Such a cool story. And uh, Daniel, um, a lot of the language we'll read today is verbatim from the story of Daniel. It's, it's like line for line, word for word. And uh, so the, the, there's this huge relationship between Revelation 13 and Daniel. Um, Daniel's story is so cool because um, Daniel becomes the model of what it looks like to be engaged in government. Um, so it's not that someone can't be, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, but you can't be in the government, or you can't be in military, or whatever. It, it's not that. It's just like understanding to be in those places, and this is like a huge weight. This is why we should pray for folks so, so fervently that um, are trying to follow Jesus and being in, in these spaces because it's so difficult. And, uh, but Daniel becomes the model about what this looks like to essentially uh, be in Babylon, in government, and in, like, in, there's a military element to Daniel too, and it's like to be in those spaces, but to actually not be in Babylon. And so it's, it's fascinating. And so Daniel becomes the model um, to, be, to be looked at. All right, we haven't even gotten into scripture yet. You guys ready? All right, Revelation 13. The dragon stood on the shore of the what? Here we go. I mean, like, it clues us in, right? Uh, this dragon, we talked about him last week, but this dragon, who's the dragon represent? Right? Satan, right? The sea, that's all right. We got chaos here. And then I saw a beast coming out of the what? So all these things are now interconnected. It had 10 horns, seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns, and on each a blasphemous name. And so what we're seeing right here with the 10 and the seven is that it has great power. Don't underestimate the power of the dragon or the beast. It has power to overwhelm. It has power to influence. It has power to just like shift our thinking. I mean, it has like this power. And so it's incredibly uh, significant. And so to belittle it means we'll just fall into its traps and become chaotic. And so this blasphemous name is like, it's saying, like, oh, this beast and all its heads. It's like when you think, um, it's like, uh, to slander the name of God is kind of this blasphemous element, right? And so it slanders in one way, and you think you can, you've got it taken care of. Like, there's this other head doing it in another way, trying to distract you. And then there's this other head doing it this way. So it becomes this uh, cyclical nature of what the beast can do. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. All right, so we're seeing this uh, incredible influence that this can have. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a head, a, a, like a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked this, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? I want to pause here for a second because there's some significant things here. We start seeing what John's trying to do. He's trying to get people, again, this is a dramatic thing and incredible imagery. And uh, he's talking about this beast that's connected to the dragon. All right, so uh, overwhelmingly, most scholarship would say that the beast represents Rome, this first beast, all right? We're going to encounter a second beast in a second, and I'll tell you what that means. But um, the, the first beast, is, it represents Rome, and, uh, and so it's connected to uh, this dragon. And so what it's beginning to say is that, man, the power of, of Rome was significant. And, man, it looked like Rome might lose some battles, but they always kept coming back. 
And they always kept coming back. And they always kept being uh, more powerful. Um, even some of the leaders of Rome would say certain things that would uh, make it sound like uh, they were divine, that they might even die and come back like Nero, who took his own life through suicide um, through a fatal blow of the head. Uh, actually um, proclaimed before that, like, I might die, but I'm going to come back. And there was this overwhelming um, uh, story that was being told throughout all of Rome that Nero's going to come back. The second coming of Nero will happen. And so they would talk about this beast, about being uh, healed in this way. In verse 4, it says that, that what people do is they, they worship. They worship the beast. Well, well how do they worship? They, they sing songs to the beast. They pledge their allegiance to the beast. And that was the way it starts to happen. It's like, what does it mean to be connected to the beast? So you pledge your allegiance to the beast with your words. Um, you sing songs in celebration of the beast and its works. And so um, I remember uh, uh, being at a Fourth of July ceremony. This was, I mean, years and years ago. And, and listen, I, I love a good gathering and all that stuff. And Fourth of July is fun to be around. But I remember people were singing these songs, uh, patriotic songs, while raising their hands. I remember in that moment, this is probably like seven, eight years ago. I remember in that moment, I was like, oh man, they're like worshiping America. It feels like you shouldn't do that. But what is it? It's describing, like literally, Revelation described this 2,000 years ago. Like what it looks like. And it's like you pledge allegiance with your words, and then you sing songs to it and to celebrate things about it that are actually about Babylon, not about God. And what that does is it transforms you into this element of worship and identity, and it shapes our thoughts. It shapes how we interact and how we see the world uh, around us. Even in the language, the idea of who is like the beast, who can wage war against it, it is the exact opposite of Exodus 15:11 and Psalm 35, which says, who is like the Lord? And so it calls into uh, this question. It's like, man, what, what are we doing? Have, have I been impacted? And, and the answer is yes, we've all been impacted by where we live, right, culturally, all of us in, in different ways. Um, it's like, man, what, what does this look like and how does this happen to us? And we start seeing the, what is describing here. It's like, I'm, John's like, I'm going to tell you how the beast works and how the dragon works and, and how this begins to play out in front of you. It says this in verse 5. It says, The beast was giving a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise its authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years, which is half of what? Yeah, it's a little better than last week with the math. Um, it's three and a half years, which is half of seven, which means, which means what he's saying here is like, listen, the power that it seems like Babylon has or Rome has or any empire has, that kind of power and authority, like, it doesn't last long. It doesn't hang around forever. So, so stop sacrificing for temporary things. Stop buying into it. It's not eternal. Um, how many guys are scared of the Roman Empire right now? <gasps> you know why you're not scared about it? Because it's not here. So even at that point, they think, oh, the eternal Rome, right? It's fool. It's foolish. Guess what? Someday America will not be a thing. It might be like a thing in, like, in terms of a place, but it's not going to be an empire. Like, why do I know that? Because that's what happens to all empires. And someday, 
Like, we'll look at it and be like, whoa, that was crazy. America's history, da 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 I mean, it might be hundreds of years from now, whatever, but, like, that is the reality of all empires. That's what happens. And so it's, it's temporary. He says this, it opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven, meaning the acts of Babylon, the acts of the place, the acts of Rome, the acts of any Babylon-like place is going to try and go against what Jesus taught, go against the people that um, are in heaven, meaning those connected to following Jesus, going against the ways of Christ. Like that's what Babylon will always try and do. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and tongue, meaning it's going to affect um, everyone. And to, to conquer simply just means if, if we don't understand the schemes of Babylon, if we don't understand what's being presented before us, if we aren't constantly challenging one another and, and living in a place of surrender to the reality and the truth of Jesus, um, that we will be conquered by the ways of Babylon. And it can happen to all of us and has happened to all of us and will continue in some ways because it's a constant state of being and trying to figure out. And what, how, how Babylon will, will start working is through propaganda. This is the idea of words. And so um, I wrote down a few here uh, that show that like this is just what it works. Think about our founding documents. Um, they made people three-fifths of a person. It's a very Babylonian thing to do. Um, ripping out sections of the Bible, or uh, we had folks who literally created, the church literally created a slave Bible that eliminated the stories of Exodus and gave it to slaves. It's a very Babylonian thing to do. Um, even recently, Christians who were celebrating the Let's Go Brandon season of time, a very Babylonian thing to do. Um, we celebrate death in our country like crazy. Um, and what I mean by that is in things like this, when there's this big wave uh, you know, over the last couple of years of tell your abortion story. And it's like, man, literally celebrating death as if it's nothing. We normalize sex, sexual pro- promiscuity. You know, you had a congresswoman out in California normalizing pedophilia, saying that the people can't help it. Um, you have such a low bar on morality. Um, we think about who we vote for. Um, we create language that poor people choose to be that way. Um, I get it. Like, there are responsibilities and all that stuff. But again, it's, it's demeaning to people. We're creating, we're supposed to be like loving one another like Christ loved us. And it's like, man, all this kinds of language and things that we do, it's like that's Babylonian and beast-like and dragon-like language, not that of Jesus. Um, We wipe out groupings of people and use language like God is on our side. We take Bible verses out of context to justify actions or gain votes. You'll hear that a lot this upcoming year. Um, Corporations that use greed to exploit other people and take advantage of people. Um, Think about this, like when Sandy Hook happened and a bunch of kindergartners got gunned down, nothing really changed in our country. I mean, barely anything. And it's like, you cannot convince me the impact of what we are in Babylon when stuff like that happens. Predatory lending. It's another thing that Babylon does. And and so um, those are just some examples of the reality of what we're living in. Verse 8. All inhabitants of earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, meaning those who are following Jesus, um, the Lamb who's slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And what John is saying is like, there's going to be a part of us when we hear stuff like this and take it in that we're going to try and like push back immediately. Because we're like, no, no, no. Because there's elements about Babylon that we all like. There's a physical security to it. There's an economic security to it. And so we like those parts. 
And so, in, 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 in maybe this is happening to you right now, it's like, internally, we want to fight back immediately. But what John is saying, like, no, 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 like, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear this. You have to start figuring out, like, what's going on. He says, if anyone is to go into captivity, in captivity they will go. Meaning, if you want to go the ways of Babylon, you'll, you'll go there. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, the sword will, they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. There's a, 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 a courageous element of what that means to us. A, a firm, like who we are, stand firm in the reality and the truth of who Jesus is in all that we do. And we have this, and, and I know it feels like I'm being very pessimistic about uh, where we are, but I'm actually not at all. It's actually, we live in the greatest time of evangelism that maybe it's ever been in this country. Um, we have the most opportunity to share the reality and the truth and the love of Jesus because there's so much darkness around us right now. How cool is it? You're alive in this moment. It's like so, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And so this idea of patient endurance is incredibly important. We can't have godly patience and pessimism at the same time. So it's like, man, I, I'm not pessimistic. Am I pessimistic about Babylon and stuff? Sure, because I know it's reality. I'm not pessimistic about it. But what I am optimistic about is the reality and the truth of the gospel. And then if we really want to faithfully live it out and have the courage to do so, man, God's going to show up. He'll show up in miraculous Ways. I mean, you know, for so long, you hear stories about people having miracles and, and seeing miracles. And you see it in scripture and everything. And, and uh, I don't know what y'all believe about miracles. Um, I, I do believe God can enter, uh, enter in the world in that way. And, and I've seen miracles happen and, and know people who have incredible, miraculous things happen in their lives. And, uh, and, and recently, I was just thinking about, like, I think God's going to, like, we are in process just because of where we are now um, culturally. I'm like, it's like ripe for miraculous things for God to show his power. And we're in it. We're, we're alive in it. How cool is that? And it's incredible hope to have incredible patience in what God can do. Patient endurance and faithfulness is built through spiritual discipline and curious community. Being together, being disciplined together, being curious about one another, learning from one another, challenging one another, convicting one another, not settling like really provoking and this kind of thought and pushing one another to see what God may do. Verse 11, then I saw a second beast, just when you thought it was over, coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants, here we go again, worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Again, the beast is always going to try to mimic the things of Jesus, but it isn't Jesus. It's going to try and convince you that things are good, but it isn't really good. It's going to feel like, ooh, look what that could do, but it's not really that good. You'll see this all the time. It's like, um, I get it. Sometimes, you know, um, and maybe you've said this, like even when, sometimes when we vote, we're like, it's the lesser of two evils, right? And it feels horrible to say that. But you think about even like the process of that logic, it's like, all right, so we're the less of two evils. We just voted still for evil. Now, we think, yeah, but there's a little more good. But this is what Babylon does. This is what the beast does. It mimics good, but it's not really good. And so I get it. It's complicated. I understand. But, but it's important to understand what this language is doing and, and what's happening around us. It performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. Again, meaning that what the beast can do, it's like it can look really incredible at times. 
and confusing. It's chaotic. You're like, man, how could someone do that? They're not even followers of Jesus. It becomes incredibly chaotic. But here's what I want you to see. So we have two beasts, right? We have a dragon who comes to the first beast. Remember this, again, most people believe that that's Rome. And then there's the second beast. Beast number two. Um, and this is anything that is uh, Rome or Babylon-like, all right? Anything that's Rome or Babylon-like, and these all things are linked in together. So if you think about it this way, we also have this. What is this called? All right, for those of you who may not know, this is called the Trinity. What a lot of people call this is the unholy Trinity. And so there's this, um, <clears throat> what we're seeing in Scripture is what John is doing, something like really brilliant. He's trying to set up this juxtaposition of what we're experiencing. That you have the Trinity, the way that, that, that God works with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and what it begins to be. But you have this unholy Trinity that's trying to war against it. And so you feel it, and you see it, and it's trying to confuse and everything else. And it's like, man, I don't, I don't know. You kind of see what's, what's happening. So John's trying to get us to understand um, what's truly going on. And it's like, oh, there's spirits involved. It's just not the Spirit of God. Or this is like, it, it looks like Jesus, but it's not really the Son. And so it's like understanding what's happening all around us. Continue on. Verse 14. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by, this, uh, was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Um, there's a lot here, um, but uh, Domitian, who was the governor at that point in time, set up an image, uh, a, a statue for people to worship to himself, and he kept telling people he was the second coming of Nero. And so this is all pointing to all of this. And it's like, this is the way just all this stuff works. And he's like, I want you guys to see it, what it means to faithfully live out your faith in the midst of people who are trying to make you worship um, something else. All right, let's go to the fun part. In verse 16. Where did I go? You know what, guys? I'm going to have to read it for you because somehow it's deleted from my slides. Verse 16, it says this. Um, it also forced people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. And so they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the, name, uh, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is what? Yeah, 666. All right. So you might have been freaked out by this as, as a kid, or, uh, um, you know, you might have gotten a, uh, you might have bought something one time when you had like 666 on it, and you're like, oh my gosh, can you add a cent to that? Or, you know, you, you got food and they, that's how much your meal was and you're like, oh, I'm going to get the stomach bug or whatever. Like, there's like all this stuff um, from it. And I get it. It, it, it makes sense. Um, but let me just describe to you what was actually going on in the first century when people would have heard this. 
all right? And, um, and I just want you to see, like, why it was important to them in the present time in the first century and why this stuff deeply mattered. Um, the idea of, uh, um, you know, having to have this mark on your hand or on your forehead. Uh, there was this place called the Agora where people bought and sold goods in the marketplace. Um, Christians uh, were getting pushed out of all these guilds where people were unionized, basically. And so as they got pushed out of these guilds, um, they couldn't buy things in the marketplace, and so in order to buy stuff in the marketplace, Domitian made people have a mark on their forehead or on their hand to signify that they were Roman citizens who worshipped uh, um, the gods of Rome. And so Christians were saying, we're not going to take this mark on. And so therefore, they could not, they could not buy things. And uh, they could not sell things. And so it became an incredible economic um, debilitating choice to say, I'm going to follow Jesus and not take the mark. Um, the, even the idea thematically about the head and the hands, the, the idea of the, the head being a mark on your head is about your thoughts. Um, on your hands is about your actions, okay? And so there's some biblical themes that are woven in around that. If you were Jewish, you wore things on your head and around your wrist to show um, that your mind and your thoughts were around the things of God and that your hands and actions would be towards the things of God as well. Um, you might have heard a prayer called the Shema, right? Which is, Lord is God, or the Lord is one. Uh, and as for you, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Um, the idea of this mark of the beast, the idea of um, uh, essentially being like, I'm going to worship and commit my, my life and everything to, to Rome or to Demetria or whatever, is the anti-Shema. All right, so it's speaking against this. So people would have heard this and know it's like, oh, that's the anti-thing of what we pray every day. It's the anti what we put our whole faith in. It's the anti of all of that. So this mark of the beast is, is centered around that. Um, even the number of itself, 666, um, what is the number of completion? Seven. Seven, seven, seven is looked at as the ultimate number of perfection. 666 is the number of man and imperfection and essentially chaos. And so um, there's that piece to it. Even the number 666, um, uh, back then in language, uh, letters had numbers associated with them. Uh, if you were to add up Nero's name, as you spell it, um, it would add up to 666. And, um, and so um, in, in some translations, um, it had 616, depending on how you spelled the name of Nero. Okay? And so there's a very practical way of viewing this. Um, now, for years and years and years and decades, um, uh, people have been trying to figure out, like, who, who this is going to be, right? So you might have, like, grown up with, depending on how old you are, you know, it could have been Hitler or Stalin, or uh, it could have been Gorbachev, it could have been the Pope, it could have been Obama, it could have been Trump, it could have been Reagan. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have been, who's going to be 666, Right? Ronald Reagan, I think it was someone had texted me this week that Ronald Reagan has like address changed because it had 666 in it, you know. And so, um, so this idea of all of it is, uh, uh, it's been circulating for so long, but there's a very practical way that John is trying to be like, hey, will there be like, how, is this going to end at some point? Yes. Will some of this imagery come to fruition in the end? The answer is, is, is yes. I mean, like, because this is, the, this is how it works. Someday God's going to come back. And he's going to be like, hey, that beast is gone. I've taken care of all of it. But I want you to see what it looks like to live this out faithfully right now. And so um, in the end, in Revelation 18, 3 and 5, it says this. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. It's talking about Babylon. 
The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Come out of her, my people. This is what, God, this is what Jesus is saying. If you're a follower of Jesus, come out of Babylon. It's incredibly descriptive language because what he just got done saying is uh, the, the empires of this world are having sex and committing adultery against God. And so he's like, you, if you are in the ways of Babylon, you are, you are committing adultery. And this is the language he's using. So he's saying this, come out of her. So this is like incredibly descriptive language. He said, come out of her so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins we piled up are in heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. And so this is our call um, and this is just what I want us to like understand. That you can see the world around us, and you can take this language, you can try and like figure out like what's going to happen in the future, everything. But there's something that's happening now that we're called to in this passage. And what Jesus is saying is like, you need to come out of her. You need to come out of the ways of Babylon. You need to come out of the ways of this world. Um, one of the questions I wrote down here this morning was this. What part of my life is offensive to a holy and righteous God? I wrote that down this week because I like to write things in the process of me, of me prepping. And I'm like, a question that I'm like asking myself is like, what part of my life is offensive to a holy and righteous God? Because I just like any, anybody else can like fall into the great Babylon or the great Rome or the great whatever. It's like, what part of my life is offensive to a holy and righteous God? And what we're seeing here is that the call for those that are following Jesus is don't get duped into get out. Um, the Bible has a ton of examples about what this looks like. You know, Jeremiah um, says like, uh, like you're, to go into Babylon, literally, go into Babylon, and it's like you, you build homes and you have a great community and you bring shalom to the city. And so even for us, it's like, that's what we do, like, we show the reality and truth, the love of Christ. We live it out through our generosity. We, we um, enter into uh, our workplaces and we live out in such a way. It's like, man, this is so different than the ways of Babylon. If, if people are in politics, it's like, you can be in it, but man, you, you, are, you are Daniel in there. It's so different than the ways that um, anyone else works. If you're in the military, it's like, you could be in there. But it's like, you're, you're, you're Daniel. It's so different than the way anyone else engages in it. And we start seeing, like, that's what we're called to as followers, to come out of the ways of Babylon and to see the truth of Jesus. So let me ask you a couple of questions here. This is how we'll end today. How am I pursuing holiness through prayer, fasting, study, generosity, hospitality, and community? And are there places in my life where I'm fasting Jesus and feeding the beast? I think, um, in particular, that second question, all of us have an area where we feed the beast, meaning we tie into the ways of Babylon. And it's impacted us more than we've ever known. It's like, hmm. I thought I was bringing Jesus into that, but maybe I wasn't. So what does it look like to pursue a holy God? What does it look like to have our lives oriented in that way? You guys bow your heads.
God, first, I'm so grateful for your word, for its complexity, for its beauty, for its imagery, for the fact that it speaks thousands of years later, just as prevalently as it did to someone in the first century listening in Rome. Um, but God, this morning, I know it was a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, but most importantly, out of all of it, God, that you have a call for our lives to um, pursue holiness, to be acutely aware of the things that are happening around us that actually move us more towards Babylon versus more towards your kingdom. And so, God, um, I just pray, um, again, I understand the complexity and, man, there's all different scenarios and we dream them up. And what about this? What about that? And I get all that. But, and those are all conversations to be had. But, again, that the reality and the truth of Jesus as a centering point in the midst of how we see all of this stuff around us um, God, that we would be so sensitive to that and deeply convicted and challenged by it and um, really wanting to um, make sure that we're pursuing you at the core of our being and allowing that to shape us and open our eyes to the ways that we are actually partnering with the beast versus being um, in tune with your spirit and having ears to hear. And through that, God, I believe you're going to start doing miracles in our church and in our lives. Through that, I think you're going to bring incredible influence throughout this city. Through that, um, people will be drawn in of your love and your hope as we seek you out faithfully and push away and come out of the ways of Babylon. So God, we give thanks to you um, and what you're doing here and love you dearly. In your name we pray, everyone said. Amen. Um, you guys, before you get out of here, and I know I went over today. My bad, y'all. But uh, um, if you're new here, um, we'd love to meet you on your way out. If you want to learn more about what it means to join the team, uh, there's a sign there you can stop by and what it means to serve there. Virginia Kids Belong is our partner this week. And the last thing is um, about the share offering. Uh, we're going to leave it open for another week. And, uh, and so if you have not gotten in on that, um, please uh, do so. Um, it's going pretty well uh, so far, and we want to have a nice late rally uh, for uh, those who have not participated uh, in it just yet. Uh, again, we will, all that, everything that comes in for the share offering, we give out to all of our partners, and, um, and so let's make a strong finish. If you haven't gotten involved, just scan the QR code or um, the one that's up there, go to the website, um, and it's pretty self-explanatory of how to get involved. Love you guys so much. Uh, have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. <laughs>